In verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee and thy generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. These and many other passages of Holy Writ are the basis of the instruction of our catechism in Lord's Day 17, particularly the question 74. Question 72, is then the external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? Not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Ghost cleanse us from all sin. Why then doth the Holy Ghost call baptism washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks thus not without great cause, to wit, not only thereby to teach us that the filth, as the filth of the body, is purged away by water. So our sins are removed by the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ, but especially that by this divine pledge and sign he may assure us that we are spiritually cleansed from our sins as really as we are externally washed with water. Are infants also to be baptized? Yes, for since they, as well as the adult, are included in the covenant and church of God, and since redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost, the author of faith is promised to them no less than to the adult. They must therefore by baptism as a sign of the covenant be also admitted into the Christian church and be distinguished from the children of unbelievers as was done in the old covenant of testament by circumcision instead of which baptism is instituted in the new covenant. The first two questions and answers, beloved, of this uh, 27th Lord's Day are really an extension of Lord's Day 26. I don't think it's necessary to repeat what has been said there. It's almost uh, a duplication of it. In uh, question 70, for instance, we read, what is the, to be washed with the blood and spirit of Christ? It is to receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood, which is shed for us by his sacrifice upon the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Ghost and sanctified to be members of Christ that so we may more and more die into sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. And in 73 of this present Lord's Day, God speaks thus not without great cause, to wit, not only thereby to teach us 
that the, as the filth of our body is purged away by water, so our sins are removed by the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. But especially that by this divine pledge and sign it may assure us that we are spiritually cleansed from our sins as really as we are externally washed with water. I say once more, we do not have to repeat what has been said last Sunday. And especially uh, since the subject that calls for our attention this morning is rather important and very broad. I don't think I can finish it this morning, but I'll try to get as far as possible. That subject is, of course, connected with first, uh, question 74. And the chief element in that 74th question and answer is undoubtedly the question of the covenant. And that is a very important subject. There are all kinds of questions connected with the subject of the covenant. There is, of course, first of all, the question, what is that covenant? Very important. Uh, what is the idea of that covenant? Uh, then uh, there is the question, how and by whom and in whom and through whom is that covenant established? Uh, then there is the question, who are included in that covenant? With whom is that covenant established? And finally, the question is also, how is that covenant a basis for infant baptism? Namely, as that covenant is established in the line of continued generations. Only in that way can the covenant be said to be a basis for infant baptism in no other way. Because God establishes his covenant in the line of continued generations, Therefore, that covenant as it is established by God is the basis for the baptism of our children. Uh, but as I say, I cannot possibly finish this, so the Lord willing, I'll finish this two weeks from today. Next Sunday it's Easter, and then we won't have catechism.
So this morning I speak to you on the covenant of God. First of all, answering the question, what is that covenant according to Scripture? You know, this 74th question and answer is really quite important. And the more you read it, the more you get the impression that our fathers really understood the question of the covenant and the question of the promise more clearly than as many do today. Take, for instance, what this answer says concerning the promise. First of all, it says that the children as well as the adults are included in God's covenant. And then it says, redemption from sin. By the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost the author of faith is promised to the children no less than to the adult. Notice that. That means, beloved, that that promise must be absolutely unconditional. If it only said that redemption was promised to the children as well as to the adults, we might probably make that promise general. Don't you see? We might probably say, as many have it in the Reformed churches, God promises redemption to everyone, to all, on condition of faith. Uh, but as soon as you add, uh, not only uh, that redemption is promised, uh, but as the Catechism does, that also the Holy Ghost, uh, the author of faith, is promised. And then, of course, that makes it impossible. If God promises not only redemption, but promises the Holy Spirit, and promises that Holy Spirit as the author of faith, then faith is promised and can never be a condition of the promise. You understand that? And so there is more in this uh, 74th question 
which probably we'll we will discuss when we finish our subject. First of all, then, what is really the idea, what is the contents and what is the meaning of God's covenant? In Reformed theology, beloved, uh, the covenant has always, especially since uh, the 17th and 18th century, had an important place, very important place, a place uh, next to the doctrine of election with which, by the way, it is also inseparably connected. The doctrine of the covenant and the doctrine of election are fundamentally the same. I dare say, beloved, uh, that when one does not believe in the covenant, he cannot possibly believe in infant baptism. Uh, but it is just as true uh, that if one does not believe in election, he cannot possibly administer the sacrament of baptism to infants. The two stand and fall together without any question. But although in Reformed doctrine, in Reformed theology, the doctrine of the covenant has a very important place, yet uh, there is no unanimity of opinion regarding the question, what is the covenant? Not at all. A different views have been expressed concerning that covenant of God as is so often mentioned in Scripture. Uh, there is the view uh, that the covenant is an agreement, or we might say a contract between God and his people. According to that contract, according to that agreement, uh, God agrees to save his people and bestow upon them all the blessings of grace and salvation. While, on the other hand, that a promise of salvation must be received by the people of God in faith. And that faith is a condition. 
God agrees to save his people on condition of faith. And the people agree to be saved only on that condition. And that, of course, beloved, is an impossible conception. In the first place, the covenant is certainly not an agreement. God and man, God and his people, cannot possibly have an agreement. We can have an agreement with one another as men. But how can God have an agreement with us? God, who is the infinite, the eternal, the infinitely glorious, and we, not only as small and insignificant creatures, a dust on the balance, According to the expression of Scripture, a dust of the balance make an agreement with the infinite God, and that is absolutely impossible. Not only that, but we are in sin and iniquity, hopelessly lost in sin. Before God ever establishes his covenant with us, our beloved, we are lost. We cannot do any good. We're inclined to all evil. We will not make an agreement with God. We cannot make an agreement with him. We love sin. We hate him. How then is it possible that the covenant can possibly be an agreement between God and his sinful people before he ever establishes his covenant with them, an agreement that God will save them on condition of faith. Then, beloved, salvation is absolutely impossible. If there are conditions on the establishment of God's covenant with his people, then the covenant is absolutely impossible and that salvation is absolutely impossible. That first of all. But that is not, that is not all. And there are those, beloved, and there are many, there are many in uh, this country and many in the old country. Uh, that uh, make the covenant of God a promise. Uh, this is the covenant, according to them, that God promises what he says in Genesis 15, which I just quoted. I am thy God and thy exceeding great reward. That is God's covenant. Fear not, Abraham. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. 
That's the promise. And the promise, of course, includes all the blessings of salvation. The promise of God is the essence and the idea of the covenant. According to this conception, uh, that promise of God is for all that are externally in the covenant, without exception. God promises salvation. He promises, I will be thy shield and thy exceeding great reward uh, to parents and children alike and without exception. So that you can say to any child that is baptized, Without exception, John, Mary, Peter, William, God promises thee that thou shalt be saved. Thou art a covenant child, and in that covenant, God promises salvation. And therefore, when a child is baptized, the individual child and every one of those individual children receives from God the promise of salvation. But you understand, also that form of the covenant theology must necessarily be conditioned. Conditional inside of the church, inside of the historical realization of the covenant. So that God says to every one of the children, John and Peter and Mary and Grace, I promise thee salvation if thou wilt believe. That promise, therefore, is on the part of the children dependent upon the child. Oh, they do not say that. I know they don't. But that me it means that nevertheless, beloved. If you ask them that have this view uh, whether it is not true that faith is a gift of God, they say, Oh yes, faith is a gift of God. But they hurry over that, beloved. They really hasten over that and nevertheless insist that faith is a condition that must be fulfilled on the part of the covenant child in order to receive the promise. You know that. 
Oh, there is really so much Arminianism in Reformed churches. That's the trouble. Always. Always has been. It still is. Oh, it is so difficult, beloved, really to abide by the Word of God and to abide by the strict Reformed faith of election and reprobation, even as, according to Scripture, it cuts right through the midst of the church. That's what it does, according to Scripture. Right through the midst of the church. That's the Bible. God's election and God's reprobation cuts through. Just to read Romans 9 to 11. And men do not want that, beloved. And because... And men do not love that doctrine, that sharp doctrine of election and reprobation. They find all kinds of excuses and all kinds of theories to circumvent that doctrine. That's also the case with this promise. God's promise for all. The scriptures never teach that, beloved. Not even in the covenant, as we shall see. Oh, there are still different theories. There is the theory that was propounded by uh, the well-known, that is, used to be well-known anyway, uh, Dr. Kepler in the Netherlands. According to him, the covenant is an alliance between God and man and between God and his people over against a third an alliance over against a third the third is the devil and the power of sin and death and the covenant is an alliance between God and man and between God and his people over against that power of the devil and the power of sin and death. I say over against, I say an alliance between God and man and an alliance between God and his people. Because, according to that, uh, Dr. Kepper, there is, in the first place, a covenant of common grace. God established a covenant in Noah, for instance, with all, all men, with the whole world. God stands in covenant relation with all men, and in that covenant, God gives sufficient grace by the restraint of sin to fight the devil to a certain extent, in the midst of the world. And that is the covenant of common grace. A covenant between God and man over against the devil. 
through the restraint of sin. And there is, of course, the special covenant, the covenant of grace, so-called, which is the specific covenant of God with his people. And also that covenant of God with his people is an alliance over against the devil, but then to overcome the devil finally, and that in Christ Jesus. Uh, finally, there is the conception that the covenant is a way, a way, a means to an end. Uh, that too has been proposed, beloved, and is still proposed. The covenant is a way to salvation, a way to glory, a means which God uses to lead his people on to everlasting glory. That too is not according to Scripture. That too is not according to the Reformed truth. The covenant, as we shall see presently, is not a way, is not a means, but is the very essence of salvation. Salvation is the covenant, and the covenant is salvation. Never forget that. And not only that, beloved, but according to Scripture, the covenant is everlasting. Scripture emphasizes, as we shall see presently, repeatedly, that truth. The covenant is eternal, is everlasting, and a way is not everlasting. A way comes to an end, but the covenant of God never comes to an end. It's an everlasting covenant. And therefore, beloved, according to Scripture, as I try, will try to show, I have some passages of Scripture which I'd like to explain this morning. According to Scripture, in the first place, the covenant is not a means, and the covenant is not a way, and the covenant is not an agreement, or a contract. The covenant is not the promise, but according to the Bible, the covenant is a bond, a spiritual bond between God and his people in Christ. A bond. The nature of that bond, as we hope to see, is according to Scripture, the fellowship of friendship. That's the very nature of the covenant bond, essence of it. And that covenant of friendship, that bond between God and his people, 
is established by God and by God alone. No one aids him. No one cooperates with him in the establishment of that covenant. It's God's covenant and God's covenant alone. And that covenant, however, is established, first of all, in and with and through Christ. Christ is the first with whom God establishes his covenant. And through Christ, God establishes that covenant with his people, with his elect. And as I said at the very beginning, the basis of the fact that infants are to be baptized according to the Reformed churches lies in the fact that God establishes his covenant with his people and the line of continued generation. That is why not only infants may, but must be baptized and receive the sign of the covenant. What is that bond? I say, beloved, that bond is a bond of friendship, of the fellowship of friendship. If you study scripture, we'll find, beloved, uh, that that fellowship of friendship is really the whole of salvation. Salvation is not simply uh, to be saved from death and hell and to go to heaven. Salvation is to enter into God's everlasting and perfect covenant of friendship. Friendship is a fellowship a bond between two or three or more individuals that are alike and the highest and most complete sense of the word that friendship You cannot have friendship between beings that are entirely unlike. 
You can have friendship only between beings that are similar, that are fundamentally alike. That first of all. But even that is not sufficient. We must add to that that friendship is a bond established between individuals that are as closely alike as possible but with personal distinction. If, say, two or three people were entirely and completely identical, you could never have any bond of friendship between them. Suppose uh, one or two or three men were entirely identical, without any difference, without any distinction. Uh, they would not have need of any bond. They could not possibly be attracted to one another because they were centered in themselves. But, remember, friendship is a bond between those that are in the highest possible sense similar, but with personal distinction. In that sense, beloved, the covenant and the covenant of friendship is fundamentally based upon the Trinity, don't you see? Always we must go back to God. Oh, God is the pattern of all things. God is the basis of all things. In God we find the source of all things, also of the covenant. Also of this covenant of friendship. In the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the three persons are in the highest sense of the word alike, but with personal distinction. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are absolutely alike, beloved, in all their virtues. Alike, uh, they are eternal. Alike, uh, they are immutable. Alike, uh, they are omnipresent, immense. Also, the rest of the virtues. Alike, they are absolutely holy. Alike, they know all things. Alike, they're full of grace and glory and beauty. That's true of all the persons of the Godhead. Alike they share, no, alike they partake of the whole divine being and of all the divine attributes, without distinction. But 
The Father lives in that one divine being as Father. Never as Son. Never as Holy Spirit. The Son lives in that entire divine being as Son. Never as Father. Never as Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always lives and operates in that one eternal, immense, holy, gracious, divine being as Spirit, never as Father and Son. In other words, briefly, there is personal distinction with essential likeness. And that is God's life of the covenant. God reveals that same life of friendship and establishes the same bond of friendship that eternally subsists in the divine nature with his people. Let's remember that, beloved. That's important. And that that is true is evident, as I say, from the Holy Scripture. That, uh, that, beloved, that is the essence of the covenant. Already in paradise, as you know, God created Adam. Uh, let me say God created Adam unconditionally. He made Adam according to his own divine decree, not on any condition, but he made Adam like unto himself in a creaturely way. And because God made Adam in a creaturely way, that very fact that God created Adam was the covenant relationship. Adam knew God by the wind of day. God talked to Adam in paradise as a friend with his friend. That's the covenant, beloved. Always oh, sometimes, as you know, we speak of the covenant of works. We don't. But in Reformed theology, they spoke of the covenant of works, and that covenant of works was supposed to be established after creation. That covenant of works was uh, the relation between God and Adam according to which uh, God promised Adam eternal life, which he never did. Adam couldn't have eternal life. But meant to have eternal life. It meant to have everlasting existence if that, as far as that's concerned, but not eternal life. God promised Adam eternal life on condition that he did not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If he did eat, then he would die. That was, as you know, the so-called covenant of works which by this time we reject. But that's not true, beloved. Adam stood in the covenant relation of God 
by virtue of his creation in the image of God. He was like God in a creature away. That was the covenant. Besides, we read in Scripture that the people of God, the covenant people, talk with God. Several times. Genesis 18, verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham anything that I do? That's friendship. Friends have no secrets for one another. Friends talk with one another. That's the relation of friendship. And so, Genesis eighteen twenty-three, Abram walking and talking with God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God discussing with Abraham, mind you. God discussing with Abraham the possibility of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Walking and talking with God. Oh yes, also that. Uh, Moses knew God, we read. Moses knew God face to face. Think of that. Moses knew God face to face. That is... God revealed his face to Abraham, and Abraham saw his face. Moreover, the covenant people walked with God. They walked with him, not walked before him. That is something else. Oh, yes, the covenant people also walked before God. That's their calling. They walked before God in order to uh, walk in in the way of his precepts. They serve him. They love him with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. But that's not the idea of walking with God. Walking with God means, beloved, companionship. The people of God are companions with God. So we read in Genesis 5.22 of Enoch. And Enoch walked with God. In Genesis 6, 9, and Noah walked with God as a friend with his friend. Not only that, literally, Abraham is called the friend of God. Abraham is called the friend of God. Isaiah 41, verse 8, the seed of Abraham, his friend. Friend of God. And in James 2, Verse 23, Abraham believed God and he was called the friend of God. Still more, in many passages of Scripture, you have the same idea as far as the covenant of God is concerned. Psalm 25, 11, which we have sung this morning, the friendship of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. That means, beloved, according to Hebrew parallelism, that the covenant of God is his friendship. God will show his covenant by being friends with his people. Isaiah 55, 3, 
I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Everlasting covenant. Not a way, not a contract. Oh, no. The covenant is everlasting. Never ends. Never ends. In fact, beloved, the covenant is perfected in glory. That's why it's everlasting. The covenant is perfected in everlasting glory in life, in heaven, in heavenly glory. That's where the covenant is perfect. Again, Isaiah 61, 8, I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Covenant is everlasting. It cannot be a way. It cannot, it cannot be a contract unto salvation. A contract unto salvation is not everlasting. It's finished as soon as the contract is finished. But this is everlasting, beloved. Jeremiah 23, verse 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. That's God's covenant. Ezekiel 37 26, that beautiful too. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant. My tabernacle, that's the covenant, my tabernacle shall also be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the covenant. John 17, 23. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one. That's the most intimate fellowship in Christ possible. And that fellowship of friendship, beloved, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, is God's covenant. Second Corinthians six sixteen. I must close. For ye are the temple of the living God. Notice. Ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will dwell in, in them. That's the covenant. I will walk in them. In them. Walk in them. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And to quote no more, in the last time, beloved, the last day, when the eternal covenant of God shall be perfected, we read in Revelation 21, verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God who is with men. Eternally, and he will dwell with them in everlasting glory and perfection. He will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. That is the everlasting covenant of God, beloved. That covenant we now have. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, as I hope to explain next time. We now have it in principle. We have, we are, we are, according to the scriptures, and according to the testimony of the Spirit in your hearts, God's friends, aren't you? I, I am. I dare say I am. I, not because I boast, but I dare say, beloved, it's the testimony of the Spirit in my heart that I, sinful though I be, corrupt though I am by nature, am the friend of God. That's the covenant. That testimony of the Holy Spirit should resound in your heart even through the preaching of the word this morning. You should say in answer to the testimony of the Holy Spirit, I am the friend of God. And if that is so, beloved, then of course, your longing will be, no matter how earthy and no matter how sinful and corrupt you may be, no matter how you fear the hour of death, your longing will nevertheless be to be delivered from the body of this death and to enter in perfection, in everlasting glory forever in God's tabernacle. May that be your and my desire in an increasing measure. And may we walk in the midst of the world accordingly. Amen. Thanks, O Lord, for thy word applied unto our hearts. Strengthen us and the rest of this day unto thy service. Lead us by thy grace and spirit. Establish thy kingdom. Forgive our sins. For Jesus' sake. Amen.